0: That you'll find in the pocket on the back of the chair just in front of you there. Uh, We ask for information on both sides of the cards, your name and a couple other things. Please know we're not selling this to anybody, we're not giving it away. It's not our intention to abuse uh, that privilege in any way, but we want to have the opportunity to extend the blessing of this hour and this time on into the days and weeks ahead and so if you could help us with that we'd appreciate it if if you do fill out one of those cards we would ask for you to take the time to put it in the box at the back of the auditorium that says giving back to god if you're one of our guests we don't want you to feel under any obligation to make a financial gift but if you could give us that card we would appreciate it very much excuse me card with a little bit of information on it right I, i haven't seen too many blank ones put in there but that might be misunderstood in that way on your way in today, I hope you got a copy of the Caring and Sharing. You'll want to be sure and look through the announcements that are there. number of things here that you'll want to be updated on. We won't mention all of them, although there are a few things we will want to say out loud so that you can uh, participate in those especially. Um, so I would remind you that if you get a, if you don't have your Caring and Sharing and you're looking for a little bit of information, you can always go to the website and you'll be able to download either the Wednesday night announcement or the Caring and Sharing, whichever is most current and might have what you're looking for. If you didn't grab one of the individual communion sets that's in the on, on your way in, we continue in kind of some contactless protocols. This is one of those key elements, and this would be a good time to get up and be sure you have one of those every week boy y'all have been so awesome um you use them you take them and you carry them back there and you throw them in the trash and we have never asked you for you to do that that just means you're such responsible people somebody say oh that we were all actually that responsible right (laughs) but uh, if you'd help us with that we'd appreciate it there's also i would just remind you to be prepared for giving in contactless way and again most of you know how that works I have to say thank you. Um, we, we asked you to be supportive of our trunk or treat. A bunch of people showed up with decorated trunks. You gave us plenty of candy. We had enough to go around and all those kind of things. Our neighborhood kids showed up. Somebody say amen. I think uh, somebody there was a dentist in town that donated a bag with Uh, toothbrushes and things like that incredibly contradictory statement eat candy brush your teeth maybe that's you know uh, that that maybe those two things go together really well and you know what even if you were just one of those people that prayed God send one of our neighbors to us so that we can bless them we appreciate the way that you got involved in that As we begin November, uh, we're shifting from EEM was our mission emphasis in October, and we're going to be talking about Shelly Bryant. If you don't know Shelly, really want to encourage you to watch this week's coming up midweek update. I'm going to invest a little more time in telling her story. Uh, We need to be praying for Shelly as Singapore has basically been on lockdown, and the church in Singapore has not been able to meet other than... Uh, for a little while, five of them at a time or eight of them at a time. But they're actually back to where no more than two people can be in the same place at the same time. They're continuing to meet on Zoom. Uh, but let's pray for Shelley. And particularly that uh, there's been no traveling into the country or out of the country in reality for how long this has been going on. Let's pray for Shelley Bryant in Singapore as well. So I mentioned it in the midweek update. With uh, in the caring and sharing. I really want to encourage you to mark your calendars for Sunday night, November the 21st, for our family journey of Thanksgiving. If you've not done this before, it's just one of the neatest, funnest things we do. There will be stations set up all over the building, and all of those stations will be about engaging you and your family. And by the way, if you don't have little kids, it's not a big deal. Do you like to eat? Okay, do you like to color? Okay, now the funny thing is people don't admit that they like to color, but when you give them a time and a place and colors and people to color with, they (laughs) love coloring, you know. I'm just always amazed at the people that get into the coloring station and they just would stay there the whole time. We have prayer stations that are going to be more for older adult kind of folks, and then there will be prayer stations that are very much uh, amenable to you and your family and children and things like that. Mark it on your calendar. It will be worth it to be a part of the family journey of Thanksgiving. As we begin our time of worship this morning, I would invite you to to, uh, recite with me from Psalm 111. The first line needs to have emphasis. Can we give emphasis to the first line? You've seen it now for a minute. Are we ready? Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Great are the works of the Lord, full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He sent redemption to his people, holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And the whole church said amen. Wes?
1: Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just an awesome day. Thank you for the weather that you've given us. Thank you for all the blessings. Lord, we ask that you, uh, you bless this congregation, this group of uh, individuals that we come and bless your name. We ask that you bless uh, Alan, that you give him a good remembrance of the things he has prepared for us and each one of us that's involved. Lord, thank you for this, uh, this country that we live in and the, the freedoms that we have, the freedoms that come uh, with worshiping you openly and together. In person that we've come together to worship your name we ask that uh, you bless those abroad that don't have these blessings that you bless those that are involved specifically miss Shelley, and those that uh, that she leads Uh, lord we ask again that uh, you watch over us individually and as a group that you bless this time together bless the country that we live in our elected officials that you give them wisdom uh, to do the things that are right and that they lead us according to your will Lord, forgive us when we fall short. Help us be better tomorrow than we are today. And Lord, have mercy on us on that last great day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.
2: (laughs) 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 Majesty, worship his majesty. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from everything. This time, we'd uh, like to dismiss uh, Stage Two, Praise Kids, and Limitless Kids.
3: Therefore, let us stop passing judgments on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high, I will praise
2: Him. He is exalted forever, exalted and I will praise on high.
3: He is exalted, the king is exalted
2: on high. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted, forever exalted, and I will praise him. Rain. Heaven and earth rejoice in His holy name. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high. He is exalted, the King is exalted on high.
0: to get to join in the process of exalting God. What a blessing, amen, to be a people who are chosen. Um, And by that, I don't mean that somehow or another you did something for God to say, I want you above anybody else, but instead we were chosen with the responsibility to be those who exalt God in our songs, amen, in our lives, amen, maybe most of all in our relationships with each other. We're continuing into chapter 14. I appreciate, Jeff, the reading from chapter 14. Um, Stuff that's difficult to interpret here. No ways about it. If you've uh, been in church very long, my guess is you've kind of heard whether or not uh, the person who preached from this section put it in the context that Romans is in and what Paul is saying or not. You've heard about this idea of the weak and the strong before. The main thing that we need to not separate it from is extremely critical that we never forget that basically until we get to the end of the book, if you want to say before then, that's fine. Why in the world would my phone be ringing? Sorry. I don't usually leave that in my pocket, but um, it, it was there. Maybe you can say when we, when we start uh, the, kind of the end of chapter 16, we're no longer under this heading, but don't forget. The heading where we are, the teaching on living with each other and understanding our spiritual gifts, the teaching of learning how to operate with our literally our neighbors in society, the teaching on how we get along as we are part of this civil, civilization, this, this governing uh, system that we're under, And this teaching of the weak and the strong and how we get along in places of, let's call it, dispute in the church. And for those who believe, fall under the heading that can't be missed of 12-1. You are a living sacrifice. You should see yourself as a living sacrifice. This is a powerful image in that everything that we are as Christ ought to be... Uh, the way of living sacrificially is always about putting on Christ. It's always about looking back to Jesus. Not looking at Jesus in the sense of, I, this is how I want Jesus to be. But instead, letting our lives, not forming Christ in our shape, right? Not forming Him to us, but us being formed to Him. When we put on Christ starting with our baptism and we continue to move forward and particularly how we choose to live together in Christ ought to be shaped by the cross, ought to be shaped by our understanding that Jesus was a living sacrifice literally and that you and I are called to live in that in a powerful sort of way every single day. Again, I've already mentioned it, but the conversation centers around the definition of a couple of things. First of all, the idea of the weak and the strong. And there are several ways in which this is viewed. I'm going to pick up a second one in a minute, so I'm not going to mention it in detail here. But in this first verse, it says, those of you in faith who are weak. And so sometimes, and even there are translators, if you read multiple translations, you'll see that they say, weak in faith every other time through the passage, but that is not the case, okay? Okay. More importantly here, I think we have a distinction between two groups. And if you've been listening to the series on Romans going all the way back to last spring, if you've been in that process, you know that the two groups that Paul is talking to more than any others are Those who are of Jewish descent or possibly those who follow uh, what we call the law of Moses. The Torah is kind of one of the terms we put to that. And those who came to know Christ as Gentiles and who may in reality have never been exposed to uh, the, the, the law of Moses and its regulations and stipulations for people. This is how you live as a people of God. Now what you might think is that The strong are the people who've had the law of God, right? But in Romans, in this society, in this place, I don't believe that that's in reality the description that's being used. And there's a particular reason for that. Again, without putting the slides up, you have to understand that if you were of Jewish descent, if you were in somehow or another practicing Jewish uh, traditions and laws... At one point, not too long ago, when this letter was written, you were kicked out of town, right? Claudius kicked you out, said, we can't have those kind of folks around. It may have even been that there was so much controversy going on in the synagogues around town, the synagogue being a kind of a church building that Jews met in, about who Jesus was, that we just couldn't have any more of that much unrest in this capital city anymore. And so, by the way... Being a very peaceful government, right? They just said, You guys can't live here anymore. You got 24 hours to move out, and they shipped them off. We don't relate to that kind of thing. But they have been coming back into town. And Paul's letter to the Romans has consistently been about how do you treat each other and how do you appreciate each other? A group of people who understand relationship to God through the Old Testament, particularly the sacrificial system and things akin to that, eating kosher, observing Sabbath, and things like that. And people who have found Christ and the freedom that he brings separate and apart from those kinds of of stipulations and things like that. Those are the people who had all of the power in that society. Just for a minute, think, if you, were, if you lived in Lake Jackson all your life and somebody said, you have to all move out. You can't take your house with you. You can't really take any of your big belongings. Get out, get out, get out. And for five years, people were just able to plunder whatever was yours for as much as they wanted to. You're slowly coming back because this is where your living was. How is your economic status going to be affected by a move like that? I don't think any of us really conceive of how everything can be taken away because boy do we like our stuff or what and we will hold on to that and we keep it with us when we decide to move what do we do we have this wonderful right to sell the property that we live in so that we can invest in a new property elsewhere and then we turn around and say I want to hire the biggest truck you can find anywhere so I can take all of my stuff with me right These people didn't have the right to buy and sell their property. If the government said you get out, you get out and you forfeited the right to that property. And when they came back, they were on the lower end. We might call them people in our society that we call illegal aliens. Folks who don't have any rights to vote. Folks who don't have any rights necessarily to hang on to property the way that other people do that things can be taken from without their consent. These were the Jews of that time. And so when Paul uses the word weak, I don't know that he necessarily is instantaneously saying there's something less about them. He describes a scenario that everyone would have been aware of. When, when we get together at church and there's Gentiles and Jews in the building together, the people who aren't going to be dressed as well are going to be the Jews. When we get together at church. In fact, if there are multiple house churches in Rome and one of them is primarily Jewish, it's not going to be in a very nice place. It's not going to be in a big villa that has lots of room. It's going to be a very small group in what would be called, you and I would call, a ghetto, where people like that could find a way to live and find a way to eat things out. So you see that what Paul is referring to is not so much the idea that somehow or another somebody doesn't know enough. Somehow or another, somebody doesn't understand enough. Instead, Paul is simply using a term that is very easy to associate with the people that assemble together. Paul is also using the term to teach us. Can you imagine Paul picking terminology to teach us something bigger? The second thing that this section about, and this is where we lose it very, very often, because for us, every single dispute, whenever we're talking about things inside the community of faith, every dispute is a life or death kind of thing. Salvation is based on this, or, or salvation is not based on anything else. Have you ever had, kind of gotten that sense that when I, when I have a disagreement with somebody, they think that if you don't agree with me, you suddenly are not part of Jesus anymore? Isn't it amazing how many things that we can put in that list? Does anybody remember the battle in the 60s and 70s over whether you could have a kitchen attached to the church building or not? I just have this incredibly bad news for people. Every first century church was in a house that had a kitchen. And yet, we made that a reason to split fellowship with people. And we should repent. Every time that idea comes up, it shouldn't be funny. It should break our hearts the way it breaks Jesus' heart. And so these disputes over differing opinions are the thing that this whole section is about. So apparently they're relatively important because remember the song you sang before the sermon? He is exalted. If we're going to get be people who exalt God in everything we do, we're going to have to be real careful about how we have disputes about differing opinions, especially, especially in the church. So again, I mentioned this idea that this week in faith, and that comes up in in verse 1 right there. One thing that confuses this conversation is that description of how faith is used there. And again, for you and I, very quickly, we see this, ah, faith is a matter of salvation, right? Who's in the kingdom and who's not in the kingdom? I need you to understand that, that the same word here, faith, and what we don't have an English word for, faithing, believing, right? Those are exactly the same word, just a noun form and a verb form. And Paul uses it four different times in this section, and I think he helps us define what he means by the weak in faith, okay? And that is not that they don't know Jesus, not that they don't believe in the cross and the resurrection, Amen? It isn't about what they're thinking as much as it is about the way that they live their lives in trusting God. For you and I, we would call that the way we live, yes? We might not call it the idea of faith and belief. We would simply say, that's the way I live. And for Paul, he's saying, the weak, I would say the Jews... And the way that they express their faith, the way they trust in God, the way they live has some different approaches. And we can all say absolutely we understand that. When you skip on down to the end of the chapter, again the word comes up two more times. And by the way, again, if your translation is giving you weak in faith every single time weak is used, it has missed what Paul is talking about. Because the only time that he uses that at the very beginning of the conversation. Note what 22 says the faith you have has is your own conviction before God now if what we plug into faith there is the idea that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God the Messiah the chosen one of God who has come to make all things right if we put in that blank I believe in the resurrection of Jesus that death no longer has the last word if that's what we put in faith in this sentence would Paul ever say Just let that be your own opinion. Don't share that with anybody. We don't need to go anywhere with that. Clearly, that is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about some specific ways that we live in response to the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? And particularly, the way... A Gentile would live in response to the resurrection, and the way a person of Jewish heritage, having read the law all their life, having observed Sabbath, having celebrated Passover, would be very different in response to the resurrection. They didn't see Jesus as a contradiction to the trust that you express in God in Sabbath, they didn't see Jesus as a contradiction to the freedom that we have, the rescue that we have from God that we celebrate in the Passover. They saw Jesus as the fulfillment of those things. And so, of course, they continued to practice them. Their life of faith is what was there. 23. But those who have doubts are convinced if they eat because they do. Sorry. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, let me just real quickly say here yes, you can plug in the idea. Whatever proceeds outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will condemn us, right? But in reality, what Paul is talking about, you have chosen some lifestyles that are a response to God's grace, amen? You have chosen a way to live. You may not be about not eating bacon. It may not be about not doing work on Saturday. Do I have any true Sabbath observers here? Don't mow the lawn. Don't do anything on Saturday. Don't go shopping on Saturday, right? We want to make it the Christian Sabbath on Sunday, right? And yet, Mama better kit cook the roast on, right? You know those kinds of things, or we go to a restaurant and make somebody else cook it. That's still a violation of Sabbath. Because Sabbath is not about you resting. It's about you and your manservant and your maidservant. Everybody in your house had better rest on Sabbath. Do we have anybody who's chosen that as a response of faith in their life? And the answer is? And the answer is? Mm. I think I'm doing really good if I say on this day I'm not going to mess with my phone as much. Aren't I a wonderful Sabbath observer? Amen? Amen. What I want to do is say, I'm not going to work in the yard at all on that day. And then, something needs to be done. You see, they lived a life that was a response to what they felt like God was doing. I'm going to trust God in doing these things. And for a Gentile, it was a very different set of things. But make no mistake, this is true for all of us. If I am involved in an activity... Pick your favorite activity. What's your hobby? If I'm involved in quilting, and quilting somehow or another does not equate with trusting God, then guess what? I ought not be involved in quilting. In reality, I love the artistic expression of quilting. Amen? I love the way, and i sorry, have I ever sat in a quilting bee? Answer? But what I see of them is people interacting and being in relationship. And I think both the creative effort of making something artistic is a reflection of God. And the idea of being in relationship and supporting people in that process is a incredible testimony to God. So I'm not trying to pick on you if you're the quilter. What I'm saying is that we all need to analyze our whole life and say, how am I living in response to what God has done for me? And if anything that I'm doing cannot be fit into the rubric of because I trust God, then we need to be really, really careful. I will say that I'm not sure the way that I brush my teeth necessarily reflects a trust for God or a lack thereof. But by the way, the fact that I do brush my teeth says that I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus because I'm going to take care of this fleshly stuff because God thought it was valuable enough to create. God thought it was valuable enough to inhabit in Jesus' life. And finally, guess what? When God raised him up from the dead, he's got this flesh stuff on. So you see the implications of some of that. But more importantly, and I realize I've chased a rabbit a little bit, but I needed you to understand it. When Paul says, weak in faith, he's not talking about people who don't understand the resurrection. He's talking about people who live in a way that is different than the Gentiles do. And so it is a reflection that way. I think sometimes we want to lump a whole lot of things in there, but as far as I can read this passage, there are only three things in this particular setting, and it is quite narrow. There are things, people that say, I can eat anything or everything. And there are people who say, I can only eat vegetables. By the way, kosher eating did not require just the eating of vegetables. But if you remember your story from Daniel, because they didn't know where the meat came from. And very commonly, if you had meat at the table, in ancient Near Eastern society, it came from a sacrifice to a god somewhere. And so because Daniel and his friends didn't want anything they ate, ate to in any way offend God because it would be part of idolatry if they ate meat offered to a God. They said, we'll just have vegetables. And so here we are in Rome. We have no idea where the meat comes from. There is no rabbi at the butcher shop saying, this is good stuff, this is not good stuff, right? How many of you buy kosher hot dogs? Somewhere there's a rabbi who says, this is okay. I'm not sure exactly why that one's okay and this one isn't okay, but In reality, I can answer it. It's kosher because somewhere a rabbi said it is. okay. And for the people, the Jewish people who lived in Rome, oftentimes it was just easier. I'm going to avoid having to understand. I'm just going to eat vegetables. Interesting decision. Another group decided that judging one day better, Jews and Sabbath, Jews and Passover, they had a calendar. By the way... Is the calendar a bad thing? If you watch the update on Thursday, you know my answer to that question. Do we need to give thanks every day of the year and every day of the week? Answer: yes. Am I thankful for the reminder to recenter myself in Thanksgiving once a year? Answer: Yes. yes. Judging one day better than another, Gentiles said, "You're crazy." Is any reason to do that? Every day is the same. Probably, the Gentiles took that so seriously, they would work all day Sunday. You know when the service was? Sunday night, when all the slaves could be done with their work at their homes, and so they could meet at night. You and I think that would be blasphemy. We might say, you can't love Jesus if you don't get together on Sunday morning, couldn't we? And that would be about the way we live in response of faith, as opposed to a group of people who can't get away from work, literally can't get away from work until later in the day. Finally, there is a quick mention, drinking wine or drinking no wine. It's really hard to understand this. There would be some Jewish people who wouldn't have drunk wine. There's a couple of reasons why. Maybe exactly the same way as meat. That is to say, If there was wine available, it may well have been dedicated in a sacrifice to some sort of God or something like that. And so they didn't that. There were also Nazarites who chose that. There are some commentators who flip it. And say you had certain people in Gentile society who were called ascetics. They, they kind of didn't allow themselves a lot of the pleasures of life. And they said that drinking wine is part of that pleasure in life. And as part of Christ, we're not going to do it. So it may have even been, this third one, a reversal. You, some of you Gentiles think there's no reason. But us Jews know wine is a gift from God. And we will enjoy it in that way. Not to get drunk. Somebody say? You didn't say that convincingly enough. Not to get drunk. That's right. Okay, good. I'm glad we're all together. Let's continue the reading from chapters 14 and 15. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Wow. The faith you have, have as your own conviction before God. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong, and I want you to notice, Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul, born... In the tribe, in God's people, says we, when he aligns himself with those who have let go of some of the regulations that came from the Mosaic law. We, who are strong, ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbor. And here, neighbor has been used in a lot of different ways in these chapters, but here clearly... Neighbor refers to my brother or sister in Christ. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for instruction so that by, steadfast, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. No, steadfastness and encouragement are God's attributes, and what are we supposed to do with our neighbors? We're supposed to be steadfast and be encouraging. So that together you may with one one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, and I'll conclude with this. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The life of the church in Rome was particularly power because of the difference in its members. It was that diversity that gave it power. It was that diversity that gave it a sense of we can come together in Christ and overcome things that would separate normal people because of who Jesus was. Amen? I hope that when you look around in this congregation of God's people, you can see people who don't agree with you on things, who don't necessarily see every topic the same. I hope that you see that it is in our differences and our choosing to be steadfast and encouraging to one another that we truly live out the gospel of what God wants us to be about. It is those differences that made them powerful, but they had to live in a different way than the world lived. They couldn't just be conformed to what the world said. This is how you behave to people that are different towards you. And there were two specific instructions, two critical things for the good news of the kingdom to be prioritized, to exalt God. First of all, the weak were called on, don't judge. Now, if anybody had a set of rules to judge from, who did? The Jews had a set of rules, and they had been around for a long time, and they were very trustworthy. They are the rules that Jesus came and said, the law of Moses is good. I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to complete it. And so they had a really good argument. You're not getting this right and that right, except Paul said, you are judging people. Let me go a step further. You are condemning people for things that God would not condemn them for. Don't judge others based in those matters of opinion and dispute. The primary judgment place is do you know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God? Do you know that Jesus, that God conquered death by raising Jesus from the grave? Do you know those things? Do you know that He is coming back again to make all things new. Amen? I'm going to say, folks, short of that list, I'm going to have a real hard time condemning anybody for anything. The weak are called not to judge. And by the way, you can see why that fits. Because they've got a great set of rules to judge from, don't they? The strong, on the other hand, the strong are called... And the word that the NIV uses, many translations will use, is the idea of don't despise. This is connected directly to the weak and strong argument here. Because the Gentiles, hey, hey, what what are these invaders coming into our churches and trying to tell us what's right and wrong? We've been doing just fine. Gospel's been getting along just fine without them being here. And so it was easy to just kind of relegate them. Who needs them here? Maybe they even said things like this. I can't imagine that anybody would ever say anything like that. Maybe they just need to go to their own church and just do things their way so that we don't have to be bothered by those things. To despise someone is to say, you are less than I am. And the Gentiles in that church were told over and over again. By the way, read chapters 1 through 11 if you want to get a lot of the information about why you don't despise your Jewish brother in Christ. Says you can't ever see them as lower. Are they dressed as well as you, answer? Do they live in as nice a house as you do? Do they have as much social standing as you do? Do they have the same rights in the society that you do? Don't you dare look down on them as as somehow or another God looks less at them than he does of you. I love the way Paul encourages the Roman Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, to be transformed. It's a wonderful list here. Welcome, and this is not just the idea of hospitality, but it's the idea of I want to be your brother or sister in Christ. I want that bridge to be gapped. Don't pass judgment. We've already mentioned that on another. Uh, but the strong ought to, and then notice this word, bear with. I don't know what your translation has there, but it's the same word that Galatians 6.2, when Paul says you need to bear with your fellow Christians, and he calls on us to do that. And then again, that final phrase in verse 7, welcome one another, receive one another the way that Christ received you. Oh, my goodness. Do you know how much baggage Christ took on when he accepted me for who I am, where I am, and said, I'm not going to leave you there, but I'll take you where you are? By the way, if you don't know the answer to that question, and if the answer to that question, somehow or another, you say, oh, not all that much, I'm a pretty good person, Christ didn't have to bend that far to get me, then you need to go back to the Bible. You need to get on your knees. again the target for each of us both then today both then and then back in the first century and us today is to be a living sacrifice and if we're going to do that if we're going to change our lives into living sacrifice paul again back at the beginning of 12 said there's two things that's involved in that don't lose sight of this first of all we can't let the world conform us to the way that it operates and we need to let god transform us through the holy spirit I realize these are in a little bit different order, but I very quickly want to hit these. So if we're going to be transformed people, what have we got to do? If we're going to open our hearts to the Spirit and God's transformation for us, what what can we step into? And you've heard this one from me, and likely it won't be the last time you'll hear it from me. Making repentance a larger part of our own response to God. You heard it from Carson last week. Do you remember that? I want to come a little closer to what God wants me to be about. And until we become a people that recognize that I don't have it together, no matter how much or how long I've been living trying to please God, that God doesn't have a little more for us to move towards Jesus, then we are likely not in a place where the Holy Spirit can do as much with us as He wants Secondly, if we're going to be transformed, we need to discern the way God sees disputable matters. Don't we like to be the ones who define the rules on what's disputable and what's not disputable? Somebody say. By the way, if you go back to Eden, page 1, guess what Adam and Eve wanted to do? They wanted to define what was right and wrong. They wanted to define for themselves what was disputable and what wasn't disputable. It seems to be a little bit of a common human failing. Can we see it the way God sees it? Second, third, recognize the impact. Oh, goodness. Recognizing the impact of quarreling on the gospel. So if we're to, instead of conforming what the world wants us to be about... But instead, I want to resist the conformity. I need to step into some things. Two of them are really obvious. I hope the third one kind of causes you to think a little bit. First of all, we need to resist the temptation to condemn others. We need to resist the temptation to condemn other people. Secondly, we need to resist the temptation... To elevate ourselves and belittle others. But third, I want to challenge you on something. Because I think maybe this is where the key is. The key of peace and joy and hope is the idea that I'm going to choose not to divide. I've got so many things in my life that I, I could quickly divide over. Are you a Republican or a Democrat? I can divide over that. Do you live on this side of town or that side of town? I can divide over that. Is your skin the same color as mine or is it different? And I can choose to divide over that. Do you go to that building or that building or the one two down? I can divide over that. And I think somewhere in there, the gospel is calling us. Paul called. You need to understand, these weren't people that met at one place at one time. These are at least, let's pick a number, a dozen house churches all over Rome. Paul says, you don't just argue argue inside that circle. You don't argue with the folks down the street or across town. And why don't you do that? Because there are people are trying to figure out whether the gospel is worth the effort or not. And they may they decide that based on how many ways you choose to divide the world. And they may particularly choose it because of all the things that those people who proclaim that the crucified, risen Savior, we can fight over. Instead of saying, believe in Jesus... I want to find the common ground. I don't want to find the division. Not because it makes the Lake Jackson Church Christ better. But because it's better for the gospel, somebody say. So the invitation is Jesus' invitation. Let's take up your cross and follow me. Isn't it interesting how often the good news takes us to the cross? Amen? And that living in the good news is about following in the cross. It is my prayer that your heart is pricked by something today. It is also my understanding that I've taken too long already to kind of get us to this place. If you want to talk more about this, let's have a conversation. Don't decide, Alan said this. And I'm going to write him off. I'm going to divide a line between me and Alan because of what he said today. Because I want to try to do my best to not make that happen. By the way, if you want to participate in an ongoing conversation every Sunday that's about reflecting back on the, on the passages that we're preaching on, um, we're down in, the, in D-Wing and we'd we'll be glad to include you in that conversation. By the way, if you're being blessed by enriching your marriage, stay right where you are, okay? But if you're not there on Sunday morning, there's a great place to be. And I'll invite you there. Jesus said, I don't care where you are. I'm going to give my life for you. Have you responded to that love and that grace? If you haven't yet, this time would be a great time to say, Thank you for your love. I want to know more about that love. If you're joining us online, there's a number there. You can start the conversation by texting that number. I want to be people who expand the kingdom of God. Amen. I want to be a person who participates in more people coming to know Jesus. If you want to join me in that, let's stand and sing.
2: Just as I am, am without, without one plea, but Yeah. Uh... At this time, um, if if you have children in stage two nursery, to, uh, please go pick them up, and we'll be we will um, prepare for the Lord's supper with this next song. <narrowing noise> Come Thou Almighty. Help
4: get uh, ready for the Lord's Supper, I'd like to read uh, Romans 8, 31 through 37. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with them, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger and sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, we have all sinned and we are separated from God because of that, but because of God's love, while we were still sinners, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And the Lord's Supper is a time for us to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made and through the death of God's son that we can be reconciled with God. So at this time, uh, you should take your cup here, open it up and get your bread, and let's give thanks for the for the bread which represents Christ's body. We thank you, God, for the love you showed us as you sent your Son to forgive our sins. As we partake in this bread which represents his body, we thank you for your Son while we were still sinners, that you sent him while we were still sinners for the forgiveness of our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You see, Give thanks for the fruit of the vine. God, we recognize you as all-powerful and knowing as we partake of this fruit of the vine, which represents Christ's blood. We thank you for the love that you demonstrated to us by sending your Son to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. since we have now just been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved from god's wrath through him for if while we were god's enemies we were reconciled to him through death of this through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life we are not uh, passing the the plate around like we uh, for the contribution, but this is a chance for us to, but you can give back to God either electronically uh, or by mail, or there's a box in the back in the foyer you can drop your check or your your money off at. But uh, let's give thanks for the, the offering. God, we want to recognize you as the provider of all things. As we return some of the many blessings you have given us, we ask that you guide us in the best use of these monies to do your work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
3: Well, good morning. Uh, it's been a wonderful blessing to be here. Uh, mostly, I want to thank visitors for showing up. Uh, we welcome your presence, and we'd stick around for a little while so we can get a chance uh, to know you a little better. Um, let's go through the, let's see. Thank you for joining us today. The financial support, if you look at the Caring and Sharing, we're doing a reasonably good job of uh, meeting our financial uh, needs for the church. And we thank you for that. Moving right along. Um, there are no thank you notes and the caring and sharing that I've been given. Anything that's been there will be on the bulletin board. You can see them outside uh, as you go out. Uh, next week the, uh, is family fellowship meal following the services next Sunday so like no not the 14th not until the 5th of december family fellowship next Sunday. okay all right never mind excuse me we will not be having family fellowship next weekend on the uh 14th um the next one will be on december 5th so look forward to it and plan for it and it'll be a great time um Right along. So I guess life groups do plan to meet next week also. Uh, Youth minister team, next, not next week, in two weeks, the weekend of November 19th through 21st. Wes Wilson will be joining us. Uh, He is a candidate for our position for youth minister. He will be joining us that week. There are several events that are being planned. Uh, they'll be published or whatever so everybody will know and everybody will get a chance to meet with Wes Wilson if you were here during refuel weekend in 2018 2019 2019 Wes Wilson brought his youth group from Pleasanton here and so you may have met him and his wife already you just don't know it so anyway if you get a chance take part in that And uh, without anything else, let's go ahead and start with a prayer for this, for closing prayer. Our Holy Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to come to you and worship, to study, to open your word in a day and a time where we're not molested or have any fear for having showing up. Father, because of this, we pray a special prayer for Shelley Bryant in her ministry, where freedom is not quite so easy to come by, where there are very uh, many limitations on what she can and can't do, but continue to bless her in her ministry. Father, this week, our nation sets aside to honor veterans. Father, as we remember, the sacrifice they've made, the work they've done, that we can look at them and look toward them and also honor them that day. Father, this week our community has suffered a great tragedy at, uh, at the Astroworld Music Festival. and Father, there are many families who are hurting now from that event that you will give them comfort and that they shall be able to reach out To you, to your people, for comfort in their lives. Father, as we go forward in this day, this week, that you will continue to let your spirit grow in our lives, that we can be united as one. And Father, that your glory in that unification, that your glory will shine in our lives. Be with us always, Father. May your spirit grow in all of us as we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.
2: Please stand as we close. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new. Great. Right. Right.